Relaxation and rest, not bad for two topics, eh? Lighthearted, we, we, we hope. Uh, otherwise, we're speaking about strange things. But uh, I want to, yeah, I'm, I'm coming off of two weeks off, two weeks of vacation. Um, not rested at all, so I still have things to learn. Um, but let's start with a story, actually, about celebration. So my grandmother is 92, and she's amazing. She teaches me things all the, th- all the time. But this actually happened to her, and through it, I learned, and I hope you do too. So last week, uh, my 92-year-old, this is confusing, that's my cousin, but my grandmother's whom I'm speaking about, it'll connect. So last week, my 92-year-old grandmother had a surprise visitor at her door at lunchtime at her residence. Her friend, her dear friend Dorothy, lives at the same residence, and she comes to her door, unusual, holding something in her hand. My grandmother doesn't notice what it is. Come, let's go down to lunch together, she says. My grandmother just sort of says, okay, let's do this. And context, just a few days before, her grandson had participated in a national college basketball tournament where he'd won player of the game for each game, most valuable player for the whole tournament, and his team won the championship. That's Aiden. Woo! Yes, we are learning quickly. So good. So in the elevator, Dorothy puts a tiara on my grandmother's head. What on earth are you doing, she says. Dorothy says, just be still. Now hold this. And so she gives her a shiny trophy to hold and takes a picture of her. And so they come off the elevator. They're going towards the dining hall. Everyone in the residence is already in the dining hall, and when they see her, they're just cheering for her because she's the grandmother of the star basketball player who had won the victory for his team. And they're just clapping for her, and she's in her electric wheelchair going towards her spot that she usually goes to, and she was celebrated because of her relationship to her victorious grandson. Beautiful, am I right? That was an amazing celebration story. Unusual, fantastic. So... Um, How did my grandmother feel? Celebrated, I'm sure, by her friend Dorothy and her co-residents. She probably felt loved. They probably all felt just closer together in relationship. It's a beautiful event. Now think about your favorite birthday. uh, Or think about maybe your wedding. Uh, Celebrations draw us closer together into relationship with each other. We'll be speaking about Christian celebration this morning, but let's just pray before we go on. Heavenly Father, we worship you for you are worthy. We praise you for you are beyond our comprehension. Um, We thank you that you are God and that we are not. You are in control, and so we can trust you. You love us so much, Um, and we know you are good. Give us minds that are ready, Lord, um, for your words. Help us to retain what you would have us retain and change the way we live so that we can live more like you, Lord, um, and honor you in how we live and be filled with joy um, and deep rest. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So you've arrived to a double header, celebration and rest. Three points each, that's the outline. 
Um, what is it? So celebration. What is it? Why should we do it? How do we do it? Rest. Um, well, why are we talking about rest as well? Because we cannot celebrate if we are unable to slow down. If we are continually buzzing with the next thing to do, we can't, we can't rest and we can't celebrate. So our need for it, where do we get it and how do we do it? Celebration and rest form our last session of, the, of this 11-week series on spiritual disciplines. So why do we cover celebration at the end of the series? Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says this. Celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Every discipline should be characterized by carefree gaiety and a sense of thanksgiving. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22, and often I am inclined to think that joy is the motor, the thing that keeps everything else going. Without joyous celebration to infuse the other disciplines, we will sooner or later abandon them. Joy produces energy. Joy makes us strong. And why cover rest at the end of the series? Because as we encounter God through these spiritual practices in our lives, as we incorporate them, he transforms us and we become to become more like Jesus. And Jesus tells us that if we live like him, we will find rest for our souls. So the spiritual disciplines anchored in intimacy with God enable us to rest. So a lot of talk about celebration, different things come to mind already. We've sort of celebrated in different ways. But the definition uh, that we have is celebration is utter delight and joy in ourselves, our life, and our world as a result of our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. It's an important definition. It's utter delight and joy in all those things based in God. I'll give you an example. I, I, I've always loved taking pictures. I used to take pictures in the fall in particular. Colorful fall leaves, beautiful. The pictures, um, see how beautiful? So great. So here I am celebrating picture, a, a beauty of a picture. Maybe I could celebrate the beauty of God there, but sometimes I take a picture, put it on Instagram, hope for the likes, you know, and then just be hoping for a celebration of beauty. But is God really involved in that? Like many of you, I commute to work. And so this past fall, I stopped being so busy with podcasts and music on my hour and a half drive two ways, and I focused more on prayer, stillness, and reflection. And every day, I would focus in on the leaves of the fall that would change color. And every even hour, the light would hit it differently. And I was focusing on who made those leaves. So celebration became a Christian spiritual practice when I would call to mind, this is a good gift of God and reflects who he is. And I thought to myself, God loves beauty. All beautiful things originate in God. 
There is no beauty without God. After six days of creation, he saw, and it was very good. But creating, gift, but creating beauty was also a gift of love to humans, because we were created in, in his image, and we love beauty too. So when I see the colorful fall leaves, I see God as the source of all beauty. I am reminded of God's goodness to me, and I can celebrate the good thing that is beauty in the leaves of the fall and remember God. So why should we practice the discipline of celebration? So far, we've learned how taking the daily small steps of these um, disciplines leads to deeper intimacy with God and how, becoming, and how um, we become more like Jesus in the process. Celebration is similar. So as we practice celebration and we take joy in God and the good things in our world, our, our intimacy with God deepens and we become more like Jesus. Also, as we practice celebration, we become more like the God who celebrates. So let's look at that. So the first thing to remember is that our celebration is found in God. So first and foremost, God is the reason for our celebration. He is worthy of our celebration. The world is full of reasons to celebrate and they have their source in God. We look at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, well, really his arrival, his birth. How does that start? I bring you good news of great joy for all people. We have choirs of angels. We have celebration. We have singing. This is how it begins when Jesus is, um, has just been born. And we think about Jesus's ministry. He comes out of the desert and he reads uh, in Luke 4, he reads the text from Isaiah, which basically announces the year of Jubilee. Um, and which is when the slaves are released, when debts are forgiven. He's talking about the, lime, the blind receiving sight, the lame can walk. This is great reasons to rejoice. This is his arrival. This is what it means. And in the last days before his death and resurrection, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full We don't often think about that when, when, Jesus, when we read the words of Jesus. Like, why is he saying these things? You know, that was, that was in a particular passage. But if we listen to him and we trust him and we live like him, the, his purpose for us is joy. His joy. Complete joy. Full joy. In the Old Testament, they had lots of festivals. And these festivals were celebrating the goodness of God. Celebrating the works of God. And, um, and so... There's, yeah, there's lots, of, lots of liturgy in the Old Testament, lots of uh, moments of celebration. Um, and we'll talk about um, yeah, Psalm 50 a bit later on, which is also a psalm of really um, joyous celebration. So our celebration is found in God. He's our reason for celebration. He is worthy of our celebration. And our God is a God who celebrates. I don't know, or who rejoices and celebrates. I don't know if, if, how often we think about this or talk about this. But there's a beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3.17, tucked away in the book of Zephaniah, not often returned to. Um, but it's, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. 
He will exult over you with loud singing. We sing to God all the time. Have you thought about God singing over you? It's a strange thought. But we have scripture in front of us telling that, it's, that, that he's doing that. What's he singing about? Have you thought about that? Well, if, if his people are his bride-to-be or his bride, he's singing songs of love. He's singing songs of reassurance. He's comforting his people, quieting you by his love. The previous thing, the previous section is in that verse. Beautiful picture. And God rejoices over our repentance when his children come home. Luke 15, three parables, one, two, three, the sheep, the coin, the lost son. Each time it's about when um, we come, when a sinner repents, when someone who doesn't know God, following their own ways, turns from those ways, follows God, what happens? Rejoicing in heaven. And so I invite you to think about, if you know God, think about the moment that you, you realized and you believed. In that moment, there was rejoicing. Now think about everybody here who knows God on those moments of rejoicing in heaven. And think about right now, someone is probably coming to God and there's probably rejoicing in heaven at least for that reason, if not for many more, including um, rejoicing in God himself. So in the first two, we have the lost sheep, finds a sheep, come home, and then he says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. In the second parable, there's a lost coin, she searches all over the house, finds the coin, says, all the friends, all the neighbors, come rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. The sheep and the coin never did anything wrong, really, apart from just being in the wrong spot. We have a third parable, the lost, the lost son. We have a son who actually disrespects his father, basically saying, I wish you were dead, takes his inheritance before his dad's dead, brings shame to his family by squandering all this money in wild living, and then he's desperate, he has no money, no job, it's a famine. He comes home and says, I got a speech, I'm going to say I'm not worthy, maybe he feels not worthy, and then he's going to work as a hired hand, it's all sorted out. What do we imagine happens when he comes home? Some trouble, that's what we expect. Or some stern looks and some, oh, fine, you know, you can, it's not what we see. We see the father running, picking up his robe, causing more shame to himself, and running and running and running and running and running and meeting him while he was still a long way off, and just embracing him, putting the best robe on him, getting the ring on him, getting his shoes on him. He now looks like his son again, and then he says, let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found so they began to celebrate. Beautiful picture of celebration. Even when this lost son um, had strayed so far from home. And then we have this picture of the wedding feast. And so it's amazing that all of history is going towards this grand moment where Jesus and his bride, the church, will be coming together. And in God's mind, in his design, he has established that it would be like a wedding feast, a marriage celebration, a marriage supper. And when finally Jesus and his church are, are, are brought together. Have you ever been to a wedding reception? 
Is there any celebration? Is it exciting? Think of that maybe times a million because there's a lot more people and it's a much bigger deal. And it's going to be a beautiful moment of celebration. That is in the heart of God, the mind of God. That is how he saw things. Our God is a God who celebrates. And celebration, so it's part of the character of God and it flows from his joy and love. And when we celebrate him and his work, we participate in the divine image. We are behaving as we were designed to behave. So how do we practice celebration? Uh, first, in our personal walk. To practice biblical celebration, we need to choose joy. And when I say joy, some of you who are here in the fall think about a book that we covered, and Philippians would be the right answer. Um, so in Philippians, we we learned that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church from jail under house arrest, and he knew that his end would soon come. And yet he's, he mentions joy like, I don't know, 16 times more than that in the book. He's full of joy. So if we look at Philippians 4, uh, 4 to 8 overall there, we can see a little bit about how do we practice celebration. And now rejoicing and celebration hand in hand. Rejoicing in the heart leads to celebration and overlaps with celebration. And that's, how, that's why we are here. So there's the command to celebrate. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Repeated. Emphasis. Very important. Crucial to Paul's life. Clearly, he's writing these things from jail. So the, to rejoice is a command. He, doesn't, he just says, jump right into it. And if you don't start rejoicing, you don't start celebrating, it's very difficult to suddenly be someone who celebrates. Um, we practice it. And rejoice in the Lord. Our root, the root of our Christian joy is in God, who does not change. His promises are sure, even when circumstances discourage us or overwhelm us. Paul continues. Verse we love to read, the command to not be anxious. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, good, easy, right? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6. It's quite important, and if he's saying it, it must be true. It can be done. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety can cripple rejoicing and celebration. And so he's, the command is to replace anxiety with prayer and petition and thanksgiving. What is anxiety? but the fear that God is not going to get it right. That God is not in control. That God is not actually good. Or that God's plans for me aren't good. They're not my plans. But instead, we thank God for who he is, what he has done. And we can even rejoice that he has heard our prayers just that he's heard our prayers when we trust in him because we trust him to know what to do with them. When Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 6 says, don't be anxious about anything because he's already taken care of the birds and you are far more valuable than them. He knows what you need. 
Verse 8 tells us how we create opportunities for rejoicing and celebration. I'll read it for you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Wait a second. At that moment, hearers or the readers of that would have recognized these words as pertaining to Scripture. And so first, skip to the end there, uh, it says think about such things. So we are to think about Scripture. We are to learn Scripture. Last week, Nick uh, Aswola taught us how to t- study and meditate. Um, if we don't know Scripture, we don't know what to celebrate for. We don't know the God that we should celebrate or the good things that he's done which should produce celebration because they are good and reasons for rejoicing. I recently heard the following quote, Joy grows in in proportion to your trust in God. Trust in God grows in proportion to your knowledge of God. Joy grows in proportion to your trust in God, and trust in God grows in proportion to your knowledge of God. So may we know God deeply, to trust in him deeply, to be able to rejoice in him more. So we think about scripture, and we think about his good gifts. Whatever is lovely and admirable, the rest of the verse says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So lovely and admirable refer to the good things in the world that God has given to all people. So the beauty of creation itself, delicious food, good music, family, relationships, it's a long list. I'm sure you can help me with it. There are so many good things in this world. And because we know from the book of James that Every good and perfect gift is from above. Show me a good gift that isn't from God. So because each one is from above, we can, see, we can begin to see God's fingerprint all around us in the world. The more we practice seeing the good things in our world as being from God, the more we can celebrate these as the good gifts that they are and praise the giver of the good gifts. So I saw the colorful leaves first, and that's all I saw. But then I saw the colorful leaves and God connected. I was flying home this week from seeing a friend in Connecticut, and and it was was late in the the evening, and and it was a sunset above the clouds, and there's just a strip of of just bright red, or yeah, a mixture of reds, in the sunset, and I was just celebrating that that was God's design, that at the end of each day there would be this beautiful display of his glory, this beautiful display of he loves beauty, he can create beauty, and he created me to love beauty, and there I can enjoy it because it's from him. So the sunsets remind me of God's goodness. When we fully trust God with our problems... When we choose to set our minds on God and his good gifts, we will be filled with the peace of God and we will rejoice in the Lord. So how do we practice celebration? We did a little bit of that today already. Thank you, Huberson. Uh, There you are. Um, So much for leading us in our celebration this morning. Um, I always like to just have a, to, to go back to the Old Testament occasionally Um, just for a little bit of inspiration for worship services. Maybe in the near future, we'll see. 
Uh, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isn't that just a beautiful, beautiful celebratory psalm? And listen, they're mentioning dancing. I'm not saying we have to, but it's something, okay? Just think about it. Um, So we can celebrate at church corporately. We celebrate personally in various ways maybe it's music maybe it's musical musical songs of worship maybe it's a celebration in prayer maybe we're noticing um god's good gifts but yes to the next two points would be that we learn scripture because it is a never-ending source of things to celebrate about god who he is and what he's done and we have Really, less excuse than ever when the Bible is everywhere with us. Um, Not that we're working on guilt here, but it's just true. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be learning the truth of God and be filled with good news. And as we've been saying, every good gift is from above. Do you see the good things as from God? Practice the discipline of looking for the fingerprints of God in this world. And delight and rejoice in good art, good music. In the mornings, I crush cardamom when making chai for myself and Ishi. And I, every time I just crush it, and it's just, it's a potent aroma of cardamom. Delicious, fantastic. Is that an accident? No, it's God's plan. He thought about the smell of cardamom before the creation of the world. Isn't that crazy? Celebrate that. It's no accident. And I'm thinking about kids. Who teaches kids their imagination? Do we, the adults, full of imagination? Maybe some of us. But kids, it just comes naturally. And that's a gift of God. Celebrate. Enter into that. Participating in that imagination is participating in how God has made us. And we can celebrate that. And if you think humans single-handedly invented humor, that's a good one. Well, groan. It's true, though. It's true. Celebrate his good gifts as you remember the giver. So let's go all out celebrating big milestones in our lives as gifts from God in his faithfulness. Let us celebrate relationships. I will probably always remember the image of my grandmother in a tiara and holding a trophy as her friends celebrated her because of her grandson. So let us celebrate together and draw near to each other and to God in relationship. I have a really great quote before we almost wrap up celebration. Comes from Richard Foster, again, who ends his book on spiritual disciplines with celebrations. So that's why um, he's saying it's at the end of this study, as you'll see. That is why I have placed celebration at the end of this study. Joy is the end result of the spiritual disciplines functioning in our lives. God brings about the transformation of our lives through the discipline. And we will not know genuine joy until there's a transforming work within us. Many people try to come into joy far too soon. Often we try to pump up people with joy when in reality nothing has happened in their lives. 
God has not broken into the routine experiences of their daily existence. And I love this. Celebration comes when the common ventures of life are redeemed. When the things of every day see their origin, the good things of each day see their origin in God. The hobbies that I love, I love them because something in that um, is from God. And we'll talk about that with our next study with rest. Where's Steve? Is he Steve? I totally saw Steve here, but I'm going to celebrate him from far. It's okay. Before we conclude, I want us to celebrate, though. And so, if Steve were here, and he's here in the building somewhere, Nancy, you can, or Nancy, you can pass along the message. Thanks so much. I would want to celebrate Steve in his energies, in his, in his energy that God has given to him, the ideas that he always has, and our friendship. Because these are gifts from God. So I want you all to stand up. Don't be shy. It's the middle of the sermon. It's a bit weird. Stand up. It's going to be great. This is the seventh inning stretch for those who don't know what that is. This is, between, this is like when you've been sitting long enough and you don't want to get creaks in your, in your knees because there's another sermon coming up. But um, I want you all to take, take a moment, move around, and tell someone something, what good thing in this world, or specifically a good thing about God, that you delight in. So just find someone and tell each other, take a little moment. I won't look. really excellent rejoicing that I'm seeing. Very good. Um, but then now, um, pardon the pun, but it's time to take a rest. So just have a seat. Just sit on down. So the discipline of rest. The practice of celebration is paired with the discipline of rest. It is when we truly rest from our work that we find ourselves able to celebrate. If we never stop working, we can't rest to be able to celebrate. And we have different relationships to work right now. Some people are overworked, others are looking for work. But even in looking for work, that can be a hard job, and that can be a lot of work. And others, you know, are just always busy. And we overwork ourselves doing whatever we're doing. As a society, we have a tremendous need to rest. Overall, we are working longer hours and more, weeks, more days per week than previous generations. Some jobs expect emails all day, all night, no matter what. And it's like an unwritten rule, just do it. We sleep less, we caffeinate. We check our phones 96 times per day, making us slower in all this work. Our minds are bombarded with information that we hardly have time to process. We're tired. We have a tremendous need to rest our bodies and minds, but we don't always take the time to rest. We are emotionally 
less able to rest. While more traditional cultures would say, you're defined by your social roles. So if you're a good husband, you're a good brother, you're a good son. If you're a good mother, you're a good daughter, you're a good sister. That's how you're defined, you're fulfilled, you have meaning. But our our modern culture says, you define yourself by what career you've chosen. You strive for it, you attain it, and then you're fulfilled, and then you have meaning. And until you have that, you're without meaning and you're empty. And there's never been so much psychological, emotional, and social pressure on work to be either fulfilling or at least lucrative. And when it isn't, we might feel a restlessness, an anxiety, an emptiness. The work to prove ourselves through our work can make the burden of work even heavier. So the work beneath the work that we do every day can make us weary. We can make idols of work, our productivity, even our ministry. When we look to these things to feel okay about ourselves, to tell us we are enough, that we are significant. Are your days off restless? Do you feel guilty when you take the evening off? My ideal day, you can ask Ishi about this, used to consist of practicing music, doing exercise, reading Christian books, sometimes medical, and seeing two to three friends per day. Sounds okay to some, a nightmare to others, I understand that. Um, But I knew it was a problem when I realized that I wanted to prove to, to, to people or to myself that I was worthy or interesting by being either musical, physically fit, knowledgeable. I wanted to be told that I was enough. Then maybe I could rest. But it would never be enough. So I didn't like slowing down. The work to prove your worth may prevent you from getting the deep rest of the soul that you so deeply need. So where do we find the deep rest of the soul? We turn to Matthew uh, eleven twenty-eight to 30 to find uh, our source of rest. That's not bad, font-wise. Okay, I'll read that. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's in Matthew, and Jesus said that. So what might his hearers have heard? Well, they would have known the Old Testament, and some of them might have been thinking back to Exodus 33, where the Lord spoke to, to, to Moses. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Well, that sounds familiar. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Okay. Then the next verse, they might be thinking about Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Wait a second. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls? Okay. What does this mean? Jesus is making a claim to divinity. 
by giving the rest that actually God has promised in the Old Testament. And so you just imagine being there and Jesus is teaching various things and suddenly he's saying, I'm giving you divine rest. So who's listening? All you who are weary and burdened, we hear them. These hearers are weary and burdened. And we learn about the burdens that they may have actually had in Matthew 23, verse 4. They, which is the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. His listeners, his hearers, were burdened by the law and all the man-made rules they could never live up to. They worked hard at following the rules, but the work to trying, of trying to prove their worth was the most wearying and burdensome. At best, they would be uncertain whether ultimately it would be enough for eternal life, for God to say, you're, you're good enough. At worst, they would be crippled with anxiety, but they would be weary and burdened and unable to rest. So let's look at Jesus' personal invitation to divine rest. Come to me, he says. What does it mean to come to Jesus? We have John 6.35, which says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Coming to Jesus requires believing in Jesus, and we'll speak more about that. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest from your souls. What's a yoke? That's a yoke. On top of the two oxen, farm animals of some kind, cows perhaps. Um, so what, what was the purpose of a yoke? It was to redistribute the weight of the burden they were carrying. It was to help lighten the burden that was... It was um, and you can imagine if, they, if those cows were carrying a heavy burden, it would a heavy yoke, it would make the burden worse. And people at the time would have heard terms like the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the commandments, which in Jewish literature would mean the sum total of the obligations which a person must take on themselves. So take my yoke upon you. Jesus is saying, he's offering a different yoke, a different way of life to the religious leaders of the time. A yoke that is easy in comparison to what they were carrying. He says, learn from me. That evokes the image of what often happened is that there was often two animals beneath the yoke. An older animal would often be paired with a younger animal to teach them how to work. And Jesus modeled the perfect life of obedience and dependence on God. He's not calling us to do what he has not already done. But the good news is that he's gentle and humble in heart. What kind of teacher do you imagine Jesus to be? So what is Jesus asking us to do beyond the yoke here? Rather, what does the yoke mean? It means become my disciples and follow me. Our work is to believe who Jesus says he is and what he has done. To believe who Jesus says you are. Through the cross, 
Jesus took our sinful record on him, and we take on his perfect righteousness before God. We have become God's beloved. What more do we need to prove? What other title or accomplishment or success do you need to achieve before you can rest? Do you know that you are accepted and deeply loved by God this morning, despite your failures? Can you hear Jesus saying, I see what you're carrying. Take on what I have for you instead. You'll get the deep rest for your soul that you need. Now, does he expect effort? Yes, absolutely. But not effort to be saved. Not effort to be accepted. Not effort to be right with God. We believe and we are right with God. And that's the work we do to be accepted and it's done. But if we believe in him, we we must also believe that he knew how to live. We have learned that Jesus practiced several spiritual disciplines during his life on earth. We have talked about, in the last few weeks, simplicity, silence, solitude, surrender, prayer, fasting, secrecy, humility, confession, tithing, scripture reading and meditation, and now celebration and rest. The disciplines enable us to grow in intimacy with him, to be transformed, to be like him. So as we take on his yoke, as we begin to live like him, he tells us that we will find rest for our souls. Well, I said we'd practice the discipline of rest, so I better get get practical soon. What does deep rest look like for me? So my ideal morning now includes getting up early and sitting still. And as I spend time with him, with God, I will tell myself nothing defines me but Jesus and his words about me. No success or failure My expectations are the expectations of others. I listen to who he says that I am as I read scripture and as I listen in prayer. Church, we are his beloved. Do you believe that? I will also need to remind myself to trust God in all things, that he is the mighty fortress, that he is God and I am not. And he knows what I truly, truly need. Do you believe that this morning? How often do I need to remind myself of these things? Every day. That's just me. You could be different. But let me just, we're a bit fickle as as humans. But anyways, I forget. And whether even if I remember it, it doesn't stay in my heart the same way as I go about my day. And that's, that's me. It's a discipline. So the discipline of entering into the deep rest is an inner work of reminding ourselves through prayer, through reading, um, spending time with God, and even speaking to ourselves. How about physical rest? Finally, we've gotten there. Well, there's actually very little to direct us in the New Testament. But when Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for humans, it sounds like physical rest was a must. 
both for the Israelites who had just come out of slavery in, in Egypt, who had just received that commandment, and for us today. Physical rest is a gift that God intended for us. How often do we need physical rest? Everyone's different. Most seasons are pretty different from each other. And maybe this season, there's not much choice, whether it is uh, families with young kids, new businesses, intense studies. But we need to be aware of our pace and see opportunities to be able to take the rest that we need, even if it's really by faith, because we need rest and we're not machines. We have limits. That's how God created us. So what could a day off look like? You decide. Um, But spend some time in worship. Spend some time with God through perhaps some of the spiritual practices we've spoken about that bring us rest. I would say, I'm leaving you with some questions. It's, it's, It's true. But brainstorm with friends. What does it look like to rest for you as a follower of Jesus in your stage of life? What activities bring you joy? Who are the people who bring you joy? And so we move to a celebration encore, just to remind you before we leave, before it's all washed away, all that celebration. Our God is a God of celebration. He is our reason to celebrate. We create moments of celebration by thinking about Scripture and paying attention to the fingerprints of his goodness throughout our world. And we celebrate him for them. A final quote um, before we close in prayer. Uh, You can feel free to close your eyes and listen. You've been so attentive through this double header. The world is filled with reasons to be downcast. But deeper than sorrow thrums the unbroken pulse of God's joy. A song that will yet have its eternal day. To set our hearts on this joy reminds us that we can choose how we respond to any particular moment. We can search for God in all circumstances or not. We can seek the pulse of hope and celebration because it is God's reality. Heaven is celebrating. Right now, the cherubim, seraphim, angels, archangels, prophets, apostles, martyrs, and all the company of saints overflow overflow with joy in the presence of their creator. Every small experience of Jesus with us is a taste of the joy that is to come. We are not alone. And that in itself is reason to celebrate. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we celebrate you. We worship you because you are worthy. We want to live lives of celebration and of your joy, anchored in who you are and what you have done. Give us the discipline to be able to take the steps each day to draw nearer to you in faith that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, and that we will grow in our relationship. We will be filled with joy in you. Make us people who are full of rejoicing, because, Lord, you are reason to rejoice always. 
Enable us to rest, enable us to sit still and hear your voice of love calling us home to walk in your ways, to learn from you. For Lord Jesus, you are humble and gentle and we will find rest for our souls. We praise you, Lord, that we are not alone and that your Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and transforms us as we follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.